What's good, everyone? Ryan here with episode number two of the Run Free Podcast. And this one is going to be called Rest, Enjoying Your Work. And what I want to talk about in this episode is just kind of how my concept of rest has changed over time and um, how I've had to reframe the idea of rest. Um, Because I don't know about you guys, but I love to push. I love to train. Um, I feel like I am making ground when I'm out there working hard and and, uh, and nailing these big workouts, you know. And I always, from the time I got into the sport, I struggled with this concept of rest and uh and how important rest is i always saw rest is something that you were forced to do when your body was so burned out from the training that you'd been doing that there was nothing no other place for your body to go and so you you just had to rest once you were so run down that your body's like not giving you anything else and uh, my concept of that has kind of gradually evolved and changed over time and i i mentioned in episode number one about uh how I, uh, the first thing that God told me when I went out on faith-based coaching or what I felt like he was telling me was, um, it's not about what you do. It's about how you do what you do and talking about what's going on inside you when you're out running. That was the first big lesson. The second lesson was this, it was rest and rest was not something I wanted to hear about. Um, you know, I've been training with uh, the mammoth track club and Terrence, uh, and you know, they've done a phenomenal job. I had phenomenal results under, under Terrence guidance. And, um, but my body was just, you know, after years and years of running 100, 120 miles a week, it was it was feeling run down. And so it was really important that God like showed me like, you actually need to rest before you feel like you need to rest. It's kind of like the same thing when we talk about um, hydration when you're running a marathon. You want to be taking in hydration before you get thirsty. So it's like you're staying out in front of it. Like they say, the best kind of uh, medicine is preventative medicine. Same concept concept with hydration and with rest. And so recently I was actually reading in Genesis and I was I was going back through and reading the creation account and it's so crazy how like after every single day like God does all this work and then he says it is good. And then he does all this work the next day and he says it is good. And then, you know, he creates man. He says it's very good. And then and then he takes the seventh day as rest. And I was just kind of like picturing like God going through this process of creating the entire universe and how much he must have just enjoyed his creation on that rest day. So it wasn't so much like he was being forced to rest because he was really tired because he's God. And I don't think God really gets tired. I don't know. Maybe he does. I haven't figured out my theology on that one. But I, I just I just have this sense that like God was just like kicking back being like, look what Look what I just did. Like, look at this work that I just performed. And I felt like he's kind of challenging me to say, take that same kind of perspective um, into my training and into my coaching. And so it's not like rest is what you're forced to do and something that unfortunately has to be a part of your program for you to grow and get better. And you know that, but you hate taking the rest. I know exactly how that feels because that's very much how I am. But rest is more like, let me just kick back and enjoy this work that I just put in. 
So kind of how it looked for me uh, as I went out on faith-based coaching and God was telling me about you need to build rest as part of your program. So what I started to do is uh, start taking one day off a week, which for me was like, you know, I'm slicing my volume by one seventh, which felt like a ton, you know. So it was the difference between, you know, training for the 2007 Olympic trials running 120 to 140 miles a week to training for the 2012 trials when I never ran more than 100 miles a week, which for elite marathoning is very, very low volume. But it's very hard to run high volume on six days. Um, so I'd still hit 100 mile weeks, but that seventh day would be a day of rest. And uh, I remember on those seventh days, um, it was usually a Sunday for me, but I don't think it really matters what day um, you want to choose. Um, I just remember like I wouldn't even wear my running watch, like I wouldn't wear any running clothes. So I'm always like wearing my watch and have my running clothes on. And I just wanted like complete rest. And I remember early on being like, actually, like this feels pretty amazing. Like to be, I felt like I could focus so much more on those six days I was training where it wasn't like I was just going to be grinding forever. It was like, okay, I'm going to grind for six days and really go after it. And I could pour myself into those six days more because I knew that seventh day of rest um, is coming. And so this is something I've been thinking about a lot lately as I've been getting more and more into coaching and remembering um, how important rest is and I'm, I'm starting to incorporate this more in my athletes um, program and building it into their program preventatively and I think another aspect of rest that I uh, changed when I when I went to faith-based coaching was I started to space out my workouts more. So I started to put two easy days um, between every single uh, hard session. So I was only getting, you know, two hard sessions most weeks, which was drastically different than the three sessions that I was accustomed to. Um, So that was just kind of another way where I was like, I'm going to build in extra rest. Because I don't know about you guys, sometimes I'm like, I kind of feel like I'm ready to work out the next day, but I don't know, maybe I could, you know, you're kind of on the fence. You're like, maybe I I could work out maybe I shouldn't and so I kind of started defaulting to if I was feeling that way like I'm gonna give myself an extra day of rest um so that's kind of how my perspective of rest has changed you know like going from like I'm being forced to rest to man let me just kick back and enjoy all this work that I've been doing the last six days let me just enjoy it and like almost like reflect back on and go back through training logs and uh, and be like man look what I did this week you know because I think there's also something special when you rest and you enjoy your work it also cultivates this thing of thankfulness and so you're able to look back at your last week and be like man I'm so grateful for this workout and this run that I had when I felt amazing and um and so you're, you're just it just builds up this thing of like look look what's happening look at the growth that's occurring i'm so thankful for this and then as as you cultivate that thankfulness i always feel like i grow and i get better the more thankful i am the more i'm like striving being like man i really wanted to run this workout and hit this harder and i'm so frustrated with where i'm at usually things just like go downhill from that point so i always try and uh, remind my athletes my myself uh my wife sarah like let's cultivate uh 
and an attitude of thankfulness and gratitude and like find something to be thankful about in every single race, every single workout, even if you have to dig super deep because you just had a really bad session being like, well, what can I be thankful for today? And maybe it was like something, a lesson that you learned and you went out way too fast on your first 400 of your 400 meter repeats or um, your threshold run, you went out way too fast. And so, man, I'm thankful that I learned better like where my lines are at. Um, and then the other component of rest, which, you know, rest is one of our five fingers um, for run free training because it's so, so important. I always tell people when you actually grow and get better and improve is when you're resting um, and when you're sleeping and when you're taking it easy and kicking back. And so on this note, something that I kind of played with a lot throughout my career was easy days. And so how, how fast do you run your easy days? And I remember whenever I do group runs, people would always be shocked that I was running so slow on my easy runs. So typically, like I'd be running eight plus minute miles. And, and like I said, I played with that. I tried uh, forcing myself to run like six minute pace for my easy days or even just moving it along a little bit kind of doing more like progressive runs on my easy days similar to um, what a lot of the Kenyan athletes do and Ethiopian athletes and uh, that just did not work for me I tried that multiple multiple times and every time when I just didn't listen when if I wasn't listening to my body on the easy days things just broke down in my body Um, so what I like to tell people now and what I encourage you guys um, is something my dad told me when I was getting into the sport and it's so, so wise. It's like make your easy days easy and your hard days hard. And so literally like just go enjoy your easy runs and go as slow as you need to go to recover. Like you should feel like you're almost massaging your legs on those days. And then the other thing we try to do on those easy days is we try and run on soft surfaces. And that's pretty standard for all all pro athletes. Um, But that's just really going to protect your legs from injuries and it's going to help your legs to recover and and not get so pounded. So our our hard sessions are usually on the track, on the road, and we're really trying to, to hit it hard on those. But then the easy days need to be on like dirt, ideally dirt. That's kind of dirt roads is is a our thing that's what that's our goal that we're always looking for the perfect flat dirt roads so uh just keep in mind that concept as you're going throughout your training like how can i make my easy days really easy my hard days really hard because i see that a lot with athletes that i'm working with um more like from i don't know the best way to describe the general public but more just people you know like guys trying to run 330 marathons or three hour marathons or whatever it might be i see that they just kind of train the same pace all the time and uh and i think that's why they're not seeing growth is because your body it just gets accustomed to that and it stops adapting so we need to be constantly throwing something at it a couple times a week if not three times a week um that's going to cause it to be stressed beyond what it can handle and then as you sleep as you rest as you take those easy days easy that's when we're going to see all the growth um, and all the adaptation happen and 
we want it we want you to feel like you're a sponge so like you're going through your training you're not racing any of your hard workouts but they're good hard sessions your weight sessions your leg weight sessions are all on the same day as your workout sessions um otherwise you're stress just stressing yourself on your easy days if you do hard leg weights on your easy days um that's just another stressor and you're going to feel even more tired going into your workout so that's something that's really important is is putting those weight days the leg weight days on the hard hard workout days um, but we want you to feel like you're a sponge you know like you're just adapting week by week and not a ton you know but just little by little like we're not looking for giant leaps we're just looking for gradual progression over a long amount of time um, and like I said this is a topic that I have really kind of wrestled with for a long time and I thought it was interesting this book i don't know if you guys might have read or not just came out recently it's called good to go and it's about um sports recovery and i i really enjoyed the book like reading it um you know i don't i don't i wouldn't say i necessarily agree with everything because i think at the end of the day uh if you perform some recovery modality like icing normatec cryotherapy massage all this stuff that you know we do to try and enhance our recovery if you feel better after that then i would say it was an effective recovery tool for you um whereas in the book good to go she kind of makes the case of like like this stuff is all just like placebo and you don't need to do any of it kind of thing um but i do like kind of where she landed where she said like the biggest thing you can do to recover well is are things to de-stress and so she was talking about going into these uh these uh what do they call them sensory deprivation tanks so i don't know if you guys have done these or not i've done it once it's it is pretty amazing experience i'd recommend trying it so what it is if you haven't done it it's just like this tank like a big tank and you climb in there it's pitch black in there and then you're in some like warm water and the water's has a whole bunch of salt in it so you just float in this in this water you float on your back in complete darkness complete silence and you just like hang out <laughs> sounds like miserable right like i wasn't looking forward to it at all when I, when I signed up to do it and i think my session was like half an hour i was like this is gonna be the longest half an hour of my life because i have such like an active mind and and i just have to be moving and doing stuff at all times and so this was like I was like, this is going to be really stretching for me. But actually, I really enjoyed it. It went by really fast. And I can totally see what she's talking about of like how do we de-stress ourselves, and how do we slow our minds down and she talks about like meditation and prayer. I don't know if she talked about prayer, but that's what I think of like meditation, prayer, and this like just like letting yourself just be and and rest and how much that can enhance um a sense of well-being and uh and how much that can just help you physically like relax and uh and allow your muscles to operate and move how they're intended to operate and move um but the reason why i bring up the book is uh so i am like one of the chapters is on overtraining and so she kind of tells my story in that chapter so i'm kind of like the example of the overtrainer you know and uh and she did it very tastefully like i don't have anything you know i'm not like mad about the book or how she wrote it or something but i did like 
like finish that chapter and just think, well, like that wasn't a totally complete uh, perspective of what happened. So basically, if you guys haven't read the book, what she she looked back at when I ran two hundred four at Boston, and she talked about a coach that I was working with at the time because I was doing the faith based coaching, um, but. In, within that, I felt like God was telling me to reach out to certain individuals. So I work. I was working with Matt Dixon. He was a triathlete coach, still is a triathlete coach. Great guy, great coach. Love his stuff. Learned a ton from him. And I felt like God was telling me to reach out to, to these other coaches. So Matt wasn't coaching me directly, but he did talk to me a lot about rest. And it reinforced a lot of this stuff that I'm talking to you guys about. And uh, and I did learn a lot from, from Matt. Uh, and I did apply, like I said, I built rest into my program more and so she kind of made the case like i did that and then look at this you know i ran my fastest marathon ever 204 58 after that and then she kind of like went on to be like but then he like went back to his normal way of training and doing things and and there's like some truth in there but it wasn't a complete picture of like everything that was going on you know like um and I, and I also just thought it was kind of funny that like I was considered the example of the overtrainer when, you know, I still set an American record and went to a couple Olympic games. So if I'm like the example of the overtrainer, like it's going to encourage some guys to overtrain. But I mean, she's right. Like there was definitely seasons where I was overtraining. But that's part of going after something where you're trying to develop and be the best version of yourself and see how good at something you can get. You got to cross that line sometimes. And that's just a part of the cost. So, you know, Sarah and I, we talk all the time about how um, you have to approach your training and your racing and you got to know in your mind, like how much risk am I willing to take here? It's kind of like playing the stock market. You know, it's like if you take high risk, you have the potential to make way more, but there's also a higher risk that you're going to lose a lot too. And it's kind of like that in running. Um, you know, like for myself, I'd always, I love taking high risk. And a lot of that came out of, you know, what I believed about myself and, and feeling like, I knew what made me special and it wasn't running. So I was freed up to take that risk. Um, but so this, this concept of like high risk, high reward, and not everyone should or wants to take that much risk. Like some people are just like, I, this is just fun for me. I just want to be healthy. I don't want to risk injury. And so we need to like adapt your training accordingly. If, if that's you and you're like, I want to be low risk. I want to be healthy throughout this. You know, I'm not trying to be like the best runner in the world. Like, that is a hundred percent okay if that's you, but it does change our approach to your program. Whereas if you're someone like me and you're like, I want to be the best guy in the world at this, it's like, okay, we're going to have to take a lot of risk. And sometimes we're going to cross over your threshold of what you're able to handle and your body's going to kind of fall apart on you. And then we're going to have to pull back from that, learn from that experience, and then just see how close we can get to that threshold without crossing over it. And the tricky thing is that threshold is always changing, right? Because we are... Um, we are always adapting. We're always changing. We're dynamic individuals. So what your threshold was when you were in high school or college or two years ago or five years ago, it, your threshold is different now. And so 
it really is something that you can only find through experimentation. And in that experimentation, there's going to be times when sometimes, you know, we cross over that threshold and got to be like, oh, whoops, like we need to make a few adjustments here and there to make sure we don't cross back over it. Um, so in a way, like overtraining um, is a part of figuring out how good at something you can be. And so that's just something to be aware of as as you are going through your training. Like how much risk do you want to take? And if and knowing that, like if you're like, I want to take a lot of risk, I want to see how good I can get, then then that just allows me to not freak out when things don't go well. Cause I'm like, well, I am risking a lot. So, you know, if things don't go well, I shouldn't necessarily be surprised by that. Um, and I and I always expect things to go well, you know, and I think they will. I think it does pay off to take high risk, in my opinion. Um, I think that's why like I was able to have the high highs that I had, but I also had a lot more low lows than a lot of other people. So, um, you know, that's just part of being willing to take that, that risk. Um, but I certainly, you know, learned in that season of preparing for Boston when I ran 204, the importance of rest, the importance of getting out in front of it, building into the program. And, and most importantly, like, how do I frame this in my mind to myself? Do I see rest as something I'm forced to do that I don't want to do? Or do I see rest as like, let me just kick back, enjoy what I just did this week, and uh, and just enjoy my work? You know, and I think about it like that, I'm just like, yeah, that sounds good, you know? When I think about like, I just have to rest because I it's part of the pro- – like, I don't want to be forced to do something I don't want to do. <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but um, I, I don't like feeling like I'm forced. But if I think about like, oh, let me just kick back and enjoy this, that kind of changes everything in my perspective of rest. So I just want to encourage you guys with that. Like, Think about how you frame rest and how you build rest into your program and, uh, and how you can uh, cultivate rest and doing things from rest. So one huge component of rest, which I want to talk about next, is sleep. So I always tell people, um, I oftentimes felt like I was more of a professional sleeper than I was a runner, a marathon runner. So I would sleep like 10 hours every night. And then every afternoon, I'd block out from one to three o'clock on my calendar, like no calls, no like working on the computer, nothing. Like literally, I'd tell people I was in a business meeting, which is like, kind of true you know but actually during that time what i was doing i was taking like two hour naps like pretty much every day and uh sleep was just so so important if i didn't get those two hour naps like i felt terrible on my afternoon um core session and in my afternoon runs and and things would not trend well if i wasn't getting that much sleep and i know like we're all in different like places in life and not everyone can afford to take a two-hour nap every afternoon i don't take two-hour naps um anymore now that i'm retired i've i haven't napped i don't think one time since i retired from pro running but i still um just protect my sleep and i think you know it's okay to be flexible and to bend and sometimes like being like you know what like my friends are going out and i'm gonna go out with them and i'm gonna have a later night but just be aware of like not doing that a lot (laughs) um and what does a lot mean i don't know like that's kind of like for you to figure out but like 
And also, too, if you're going to do that, then just be like, well, then, like, I'm going to go to bed really early the next day and make sure I kind of catch up a little bit. So I took this class at Stanford. It's called Sleeping Dreams. And he talked about sleep deprivation in there and basically how, like, when you don't get enough sleep, it just, like, compounds and compounds and compounds. And you just have this, quote, unquote, sleep debt that's just, like, it's like a bank account. And it's just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, and you can pay it off, but the only way to pay it off is by sleeping extra. So that's kind of like a good way to think about it. it's like all right well if i get only six hours tonight like how can i make up for that and, and start to you know bring my account back to zero um so yeah that was that's sleep i i did a little bit of research on sleep and uh because i was curious i was like i know a lot of people really struggle with sleep and that is something to pay attention to uh you know t- talking about a little bit about overtraining already on this episode um, one of the ways you can know if you're overtraining uh, is it's hard to sleep at night. Um, but to some extent, like when I was running professionally, I kind of struggled to sleep a little bit at night as well. Um, so anyways, I was, I was curious, like what is the number one disturber of sleep? So I, I looked it up uh, as, as Jasmine, my daughter, likes to say. I searched it up on Google and <laughs> it said the number one disturber of sleep is light. Which totally makes sense. Um, you know, anyone who lives like really far north or south knows knows what that's like when the sun essentially never goes down. How hard it can be to go to sleep when the lights out. So that's just something to be really aware of, and something that uh, Sarah and I do a really good job of in our home is we have like the shades that come down and then we have like the curtains that cover the shades and we like clip them closed so there's like no light coming in at all and then even with all that like sarah still wears a sleep mask like every night at home um just to make sure that light's not coming in and waking her up and also too like so if you do wake up in the middle of night and then you grab your phone you turn it on you get this light coming in your eyes like that's just gonna wake you up further so i really really encourage you guys if you're struggling with sleep um avoid lights you know like screens i think everyone kind of knows this by now but avoiding screens like hour before you go to bed and and reading is a great thing to do right before you sleep it's very relaxing puts you in a good state of mind and then you can just drift off to sleep after that um (laughs) and if you're really struggling to fall asleep let me tell you guys a little story from my childhood i remember i don't remember exactly how old i was i was probably like five or six and i was just having a really really hard time falling asleep right and uh and i don't know i must have been doing something to like make that be known to everyone because my dad comes into my room and he's like ryan what's going on i'm like i can't sleep and he's like all right this is what i want you to do He's like, close your eyes and don't open them until morning. <laughs> How's that for advice? That's great, right? Revolutionary. <laughs> no, but that honestly, that helped me so much. And I think about that all the time. Because like sometimes I'll wake up and I'm just like staring out and I'm like, just close your eyes and don't open them. And it's it's kind of magical, like you fall back asleep. <laughs> um, but yeah, so all that to say, just encourage you guys um, – be very aware of light and how that is going to affect your sleep patterns and not pulling out your phone if you wake up in the middle of the night. Um, and then also, you know, talking about uh, sleep and like how to uh, 
achieve your best night's sleep. One thing that's interesting is I kind of like vary my diet quite a bit now that I've gotten into weightlifting. So I have seasons where I'm like eating 5,000 calories a day, ton of carbs, ton of protein, decent amount of fat, like just a lot of food in general. And when I'm eating like that, I have zero problem sleeping. Like I am just out the whole night. Like I'll wake up to go to the bathroom, but I can go right back to sleep, you know? And then other seasons, I'll be doing kind of not a ketogenic diet, say a lot of protein. And interestingly enough, uh, protein can be converted to glucose if you take in more protein than you need. So I'm not I'm not keto, but I'm eating very high protein, uh, moderate fat, and essentially like no carbs. And when I shift to this kind of diet, I find that I have a really hard time sleeping at night. And so that's just something to be aware of. Like that could also be something that's influencing your sleep. And maybe like, I don't know where you guys are all at. Maybe you're trying, you need to lose a little bit of weight. I would just encourage you like, like surround your workout with carbohydrates. And this is going to be like something we'll dive deeper into. Um, we'll get into something on nutrition later on down the line, but just real quick, you know, surround your workouts with carbs and then reduce your carb intake the rest of the day but i encourage you maybe to add the carbs back in before you go to sleep and just so that you can get a nice restful night of sleep so i remember when i was running professionally even though i was on a very high carb diet like my my uh, breakdown in mat- macros was probably somewhere around like 60 percent carb 20 percent fat 20 percent protein somewhere somewhere right in there um but even with like having a very high carb intake diet and eating six meals a day um um, and taking a snack like right before I'd go to bed, I'd still wake up in the middle of the night. And I remember I'd just be like starving sometimes. And uh, and it really helped me if I just get up, I'd just get like a little mug of cereal and I put some, you know, milk, some muscle milk in there for some protein, um, maybe a little bit of almond butter and then eat that little mug. And that after I do that, I just fall back asleep like really quick. So that can be kind of like another little trick you can use is being just allowing yourself to just have a little bit of a simple carbohydrate in the middle of the night to kind of kick you back into sleep if you wake up and especially if you wake up and you're just super super hungry um that's a sign that you know your body is starting to um break it's starting to break down its own muscle and we don't want that you know we want to um be repairing your muscles at night not not um going catabolic and having your your body essentially eating its own muscle so that's kind of a few tips um, on sleep. The other thing is noise. So my wife and I, we sleep with earplugs in, which I don't know if I should be saying that on this with, you know, you guys know I have four kids in, but I still wake up if there's something super loud. Um, but anyways, <laughs> we uh, we sleep with earplugs like every night, whether we're in a hotel or at our house, whether it's, and we live like out in the woods, out in the sticks here in Flagstaff, and it's really quiet. But even then we still, it just having those earplugs in just like blocks out, like it just takes the edge off all the noise around you. And if you don't like earplugs, you know, maybe look into like one of those sleep machines that like plays the music, um, whatever you can do to like 
make it quiet uh, is, is going to be super, super helpful. I remember when I was at Stanford, I, you, you can't choose your freshman roommate when you're at Stanford. So I was in the regular freshman dorm, with, you know, a regular college guy, and he was really cool. Um, but he was, you know, he'd stay up late, and the, just the dorm in general would be up way, way later than I was and be super loud, people blasting music and stuff. And I'd have um, earplugs in, and then I'd have to put, like, rifle ear mufflers on top of that and even with all that like i still like just did not sleep well at all and so the one way you can know if you're not getting enough sleep is if you're getting eye twitches during the day and i had these eye twitches that would go on it was like the entire my entire first year at stanford had this this constant twitching of the eye um which was just a sign that i wasn't i wasn't sleeping well and i wasn't performing well at all either my body just wasn't adapting the training that it was doing and that's why i think this is so important to talk about because i I know for myself like i i always just thought it's just all about the training like if you do the training you're gonna see the growth you're gonna get the results you want but what i've learned is it's not enough like you can't just just do the training and that's the only thing you're leaning on to to improve and get better at your sport like the rest the sleep if that's not there it's going to dramatically shift your results and so we might say like like for example like god's my coach or whatever and he's like and he didn't do this but if he gave me like divine training from above there's like the perfect training for me if i'm following that program but i'm only sleeping like four hours a night i guarantee you i'm not going to respond well to that training so this is just something where it's like you we got to have this in order it's got to be a priority i would say it's even more important than the training that we're doing is is are we getting enough sleep are we getting enough rest and then, you know, to kind of build off of that and that idea of sleep, um, you know, I've had a lot of debate in my own mind, especially recently, uh, about how much space to put between workouts. Because I, I, I kind of like three workouts in a week, to be honest. I just think they can't all be like ball burner workouts. Like you have to have an A workout where you're really trying to nail it, a B workout where it's just kind of like setting up your, your – uh, your a workout and then like a c workout um which is just not very intense at all but it is harder than an easy day um i I like i like the flow of that for my weeks um but not everyone responds well to that and so like i'm having to as a coach now of multiple athletes um having to kind of wrestle with this like how much space do i put between workouts and i know for myself like i want it just to be a formula right like i want to be like it's one day between or it's two days between maybe your a workout like but like what is it is it one day rest between workouts or is it two or is it three because i played with all those throughout my career and like i said I, i think i had two days rest before all my days my hard sessions um before I ran 204, but then each one of those sessions was much more high quality and a harder session than I typically do if my training was more dense. So this is kind of like, I've been kind of wrestling with this, like how dense do I, do I make my athletes training? And what I've kind of in, come to realize is it's not like it's either one day or two days or three days. It's like, 
it can be all of those. Like there's no like set answer that is correct for everyone. It's something that like I, I mentioned, like, and this is why running is such an art, you know, I'd say it's more of an art than a science. I do think science supports, um, running and, and is an important part of our sport. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I think within that, there's got to be a lot of artistic implementation, um, of these theories. And so with rest, it's like, I feel like the ideal and why it's so important that we only design training one week at a time so we can see how you're doing and make adjustments. Um, and if say you get sick or something before a big workout and when it's a workout we really want to hit, we need to give you an extra day, maybe even an extra two days of rest so that you can have a good session, not just like press on because like, Hey, oh, sorry, it's been two days. Like you got to work out today. Um, listening to the body which is something that you know i'm speaking out of something i struggled with (laughs) i really struggled with listening to my body but i have with rest and how much to space out workouts like we got to let your body dictate when it's ready to go again so i think it's really important for athletes and this is why it can be difficult if you're not coaching in person but it doesn't have to be if athletes communicate really well and be like hey i'm not feeling ready to go for tomorrow if if my athletes ever tell me that i'm like all right let's push it you know and and i'm not worried about them i'm not like oh man now we screwed up the rest of the week we screwed up the whole program i'm like glad that they communicated that so that we could make that adjustment um but i also understand the athlete's perspective where you're just like man i just want to follow what my coach is telling me to do but communication is so so important um when it comes to designing the optimal training program for you so that's kind of those are the big things i wanted to talk about um about rest i did do a little bit more research though just to end on kind of some some fun facts interesting stuff about rest that maybe you didn't know this is stuff that i didn't know um totally random so if you want to just turn this podcast off right now go for it but i think you'd find this interesting uh so do you know that 12 percent of people dream in black and white interesting right I know I don't even know what I dream in. I'm like trying to think. Like I think my dreams are in color, but so I don't know. Maybe pay attention to that tonight when you're asleep. Uh, next one: Humans spend a, a third of their life asleep. I find sleep to just be really fascinating in general. It's so weird that like you know we're conscious, present, and then like we go into this like entire different reality every single night, like where we don't. I don't know. It's just, it's trippy when you actually think about it. And the fact that you think about, I spent a third of my life asleep is pretty crazy. And I think also too, it just supports this thing of like, God made it. So we had to rest like, and this, this will come up a little bit later on down the line. Actually, this next one, the longest period without sleep is 11 days. And it, interestingly enough sleep deprivation it will kill you quicker than food deprivation so you can go a long time without food you can only go 11 days without sleeping and and you know obviously they've used that as torture and but i I just think that's how god designed us he's like you have to rest like if you want to grow if you want to improve if you want to be a human being you have to rest this is interesting for you married folks out there. Uh, one in four married couples sleep in separate beds. That's kind of crazy, right? Um, 
Sarah and I do not sleep in separate beds, but we have a gigantic bed because she calls me the furnace and says I, I, I put out too much heat. And Oh, actually, I'm glad I mentioned that because that's another factor with sleeping, you know, like you want to create a cool environment. So like Sarah and I, like we bought like two big old AC units and, and plugged them into our room and our room is like freezing at night. Our kids, whenever we all stay in the same hotel room, they like have to like wear jackets and sweatshirts the bed because um, we just make that room super super cold and that's something that will really help the quality of your sleep so i'm glad i randomly uh, mentioned that one all right next uh those born blind experience dreams involving things such as emotion sound and smell rather than sight it's like that's pretty interesting right like if you think you've never seen anything then you can't dream about something you've never seen before so i don't know i just thought that was interesting all right next uh within five minutes of waking 50 percent of your dream is forgotten and this is like something that i like to i always try and remember my dream we're always asking our kids like hey what did you dream about last night and it's crazy how how fast you you forget them that's why you know they recommend if you really want to remember your dreams keeping a sleep journal and like you gotta write it down right then because you're you wake up in the middle of the night you just had this crazy dream you're like oh i want to remember this and tell my wife about this and then like you get to the morning you're like oh i can't remember at all what i dreamed about but that's a normal experience so don't don't sweat it all right, this one is really applicable to what we're talking about. So, and this wasn't from like a running website, like I forget the website this was, but um, what they found is pain tolerance is reduced by sleep deprivation. So if you're not getting enough sleep, you're going to be able to handle pain less well. So by sleeping more, you can actually get more out of your body. You can endure pain better. So that's just like, you know, oftentimes when we're out running, we're pushing, we're trying to get through pain and we're like, man, why can't I just like push today? It could be because you're not getting enough sleep. All right. Next one. Humans are the only mammals that willingly delay sleep. How interesting is that? You know, we're the only mammals that when we're tired, we just like drink coffee or choose to stay awake. We're the only mammals that do that. That's crazy, right? All right. So I guess the point with that one is don't do that. If you're feeling tired, sleep. All right. uh, Next one. Bigger animals generally, generally sleep less. Giraffes sleep about two hours a day. I was like, that's crazy. Like, I would think the bigger you are, the more sleep you need, right? But it's actually, like, kind of opposite. Um, there's another one that kind of talks about, well, you'll see. Uh, the next one, animals that graze tend to sleep less than those that hunt and can eat a big, meaty meal in one sitting. I don't know. I don't want to, like, promote uh, one diet over another, but... Just interesting. Just just chew on that one for a little bit. All right, last one, guys. Uh, longest sleeping animal is the koala. Bet you didn't know that, koala. Uh, average sleep time of 22 hours, which means it sleeps 91% of its life. <laughs> oh, to be a koala, wouldn't that be great? You can just picture that. If you're having a hard time sleeping tonight, um... Just picture yourself being a koala bear and just 
can't even keep your eyes open. <laughs> um, anyways, it's been fun, guys. I'm glad that uh, got to talk to you guys about something that's so so important. And let me just remind you guys, like the biggest thing I want you to take away is like, how do you think about this concept of rest? And like, do you see it as kicking back and enjoying your work, or do you see it as something you're forced to do uh, when your body will no longer cooperate with you? And just encourage you guys, like, let's build it into the program. Let's make it the most important aspect. Well, maybe not the most, but let's make it equally as important as the training, as the nutrition, as the one percent, as the internal that you know are our, our five fingers run free. Um, so. All that to say, would love to hear you guys' feedback on this episode. If you have any questions, you can shoot them to me directly at ryan at runfreetraining.com. If you want to check out and you're interested in our training, uh, runfreetraining.com is our website. So you can you can find us there. And uh, hit me up. Let me know if there's uh, anything you guys, any questions or um future episode ideas. I got a bunch of ideas, a lot of stuff to dig into. Um, but this, this concept of rest was like right up there at the top. I was like, I got to talk about this one. So until next time, guys, happy training and may your nights be filled with peace and restful sleep like you've never had before. And remember, close your eyes and keep them closed till morning. Signing off, guys.